Steve, Japan, Scotland, what do you think? As a veteran, 55-year-old man, having watched Scotland play in World Cup since rugby and football my whole life, they're going to beat Japan. Oh, sorry, that was, that was last week. Let's, let's, uh, there's Steve's proxy. Let's get on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy and Martin Pengelly in Midtown Manhattan talking rugby. And Martin, I want to welcome you first off. I know that you're not feeling well. No, I've got a heavy cold picked up from a child, one of my children, I should say. But you know what? You're not feeling well, but there's no way you're feeling as poorly as Steve Lewis is. And we have the Steve Lewis proxy here naked and in front of us after that loss to Japan. I, I feel for Steve. He's looking like he's just... We were just saying he's looking peaky. He's looking more like Rod Stewart by the day, but he... I feel for him. I feel for all my Scottish friends. That was, that was something. All right. Well, speaking of friends, we have two friends of ours on the line via Skype. We have none other than George Hook calling in from Portugal. Welcome and thank you. And Michael, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Good to be here. We've got a contrast in sets behind the two of them, Martin. One's very busy and one is very Spartan down to the nuts and bolts. Well, you know, it's encouraging to see both and see that George is uh, following the monastic concentration on his trade. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And with, with that, let's start talking some rugby. You know, there was uh, another, it was a dramatic week in, in world rugby, specifically in Japan with the typhoon and the loss of life and the destruction. But the Japanese people showed us a resiliency and they would not have us uh, not doing this show. And, and with that, we had one of the most epic moments in world rugby history as the chimeric dream of Japan continues. How's that, Martin? That was pretty good. I could send it to my sub-editors for you to, to check over how much sense it made. Excellent, excellent. We're not, not out to make too much sense, but uh, I want to go right to you with the quote from Bill Beaumont, mm -hmm. which yeah. says, I'm sure there'll be many treasurers on Tier 1 unions who will relish the chance of giving Japan a fixture. They will attract fans because of their incredible style of play. Yeah. Um, I highlighted that one this afternoon because I, I bristled at it when I read it and then I thought more about it and thought it's probably encouraging and realistic about the way rugby, international rugby, tier one rugby is. I bristled because I thought, well, it's not just about money. Japan should be getting the fixtures. Obviously, they need to be uh, included. But then, of course, it mostly is about money. But the point I think Beaumont was making is that perhaps Japan are showing now they can guarantee a full house if they come to play in Twickenham, uh, in Murrayfield, in uh, Cardiff. Places like that, which is a good thing. So if they are now knocking very firmly on the door of more games or maybe an inclusion in a, in a tournament somewhere, and it's expressed in the, the, the money they can raise by playing a fixture in Europe or playing in the big uh, southern teams, then, then great. Good. George, is this just lip service from World Rugby? And as the man that picked Japan to beat Scotland... What are your thoughts on this? Well, the first thing is that uh, nobody went bankrupt underestimating Billy Beaumont's ability uh, to misread the game of rugby. 
and at the most crucial point in its 150 years uh, history, uh, they've got the wrong guy at the head of world rugby, uh, who already in numerous interviews has actually uh, not addressed the issue of traumatic brain injury. Uh, he thought the Woodward Lions tour at New Zealand was a good tour. And now he starts talking. I mean, he diminishes Japan in an extraordinary fashion. But I think on an American program, we're, we're missing something here in relation to Japan and the USA. In 1987, in Brisbane, the U.S. Eagles beat Japan. 32 years later, Japan are ranked seventh in the world and the U.S. Eagles are ranked 17th. Now, what I think uh, American rugby fans listening and watching this have to say, what happened? And there is a monster problem. And I say it every week because it's not going to go away. There's a monster problem. And Japan are not going to get fixtures. Because the big Asian rugby have a stranglehold on the game now, the same as they had 70-odd years ago when I first watched the game. Hey, hey, Mike, you heard that. You know, w with the ranking plummeting after the World Cup performance for Team USA's 15s program, they were as high as number 12 after unseating Scotland and Houston in that, uh, that historic night down there. But what what is... What is your take? What is your come away from this? I mean, I think we've got to have perspective. And, and the reality is for, for USA is they were in a horrible group. And, and to come away with one win would have been a huge success. I think what's important for the USA is that for the majority of the time, they were competitive in their games. And I think that gives them a foundation. And Gary has got them to a level over the last two or three years, which means that we're moving forward. I think the reality of it is, is that there has to be further investment, not only in the team itself, but also the infrastructure. And we've talked about this in, in weeks gone by, is that if, if the USA and World Rugby are serious about trying to unlock the geography of the USA, then they need to fire in some significant money and, and resource into allowing and helping the USA building an infrastructure whereby we can create a, uh, an established rugby base at the high school and collegiate level in order that we can grow and develop the athletic ability that we naturally have in the country. But rugby EQ is a big thing. And, and George's comment around what was happening in 87 and 32 years later and what Japan have done themselves to give them the best chance to move forward. Have USA done the same thing? Probably not. USA is a different geography and it needs probably greater assistance from uh, from world rugby and guidance to put the strategies as well as the dollar and the financial support in order to to get things up and running in this country but the, the USA have certainly moved forward it's just how quickly and and how much it needs to move forward if it wants to stay with the pack and when i say the pack i mean the pack chasing the traditional tier 1 superpowers of the game you know I, I couldn't have been more wrong about Japan. I picked Ireland beating them easily. I picked. I doubled down and said Scotland was going to beat them. Uh, but I did say a number of times on this show that USA Eagles fans expecting a win over Tonga was based on what? It, it wasn't really based on fact. On paper, Tonga is a better team. They have... 19 players 
in top level professional rugby across the globe, whether it be super rugby, whether it be the top 14 in France, whether it be the premiership or whether it be pro 14. On the other side, on, on the U.S. side, we have eight that are in those top levels. If you're going to compare Major League Rugby right now to any other professional setup across the league and gauge that and say that is the reason you're saying that we should have beaten Tonga, I, I don't see it. You were, you were kind of the same way I was after that match. We're, we're both maybe naive, but we were both pretty positive or somewhat positive, I should say. I'd stay, you know, I'd stay positive for, for U.S. rugby. The, the, um, I mean, I'd say about the Tonga game, yeah, on paper, when you break it down, like you say, perhaps with hindsight, there's a difference there in the number of Tongans who are, who are playing at, at top levels. But if you look at the way that the USA team had played over the past couple of years, it, was, it seemed uh, promising for a win. I don't think I ever said they would win. I thought they had a good chance of winning. And obviously the four-day turnaround from Argentina affected them quite badly uh, in the outcome. Just to go back to the, uh, the comparison with Japan that the other guys were making, the, I think the key, figure, the key number or, or key year is 2003, which is when the Japan Top League started. Um, with more money, it's always had more money in it and been more attractive to big overseas players than Major League Rugby yet is. And it's been there since 2003. It's still not a very uh, large-scale league in terms of crowds and so on, but it's, they have had a professional league of various kinds of pro and semi-pro since 2003. And... The U.S. has had pro in 2016 that fell apart, and then two years of Major League Rugby, which is deliberately starting small. So you don't want to get carried away with, with predictions of uh, how quickly and how fast the Eagles can go and improve. You don't want to say you don't want to you don't want to uh, diminish how badly they or how badly disappointed they should be, which is a point I tried to make in the blog in a blog the other day. They didn't do well in Japan. I mean, in terms of getting close, they were close, but they could have been closer, I thought, with given their performance going in and their team ability. It's a, it's a big disappointment, and it shouldn't be minimized, but Major League Rugby is there. It's a big maybe, it's a big if. There's going to be a lot of bumps on the road, but it's there, and there is something to build on. George, you've got corporations that own the Japanese professional teams, and they are not shy about throwing money around. We have Major League Rugby owners that... Are, are just out of the gate building this thing gradually with, with maybe a caution in case it collapses. They're not, they're not throwing big money around. The money is going to be a, a, a bone of contention sooner or later about salary caps. You saw a big signing, Montananu coming over to the San Diego Legion. But are we, are we naive, George, in thinking that we can get to a level of the top league in Japan specifically with all that corporate money? No, I don't think you're naive. I think you're living in dreamland. American 15-a-side rugby uh, is on life support, and it's time to pull the plug. Um, Martin will be familiar with a newspaper called Daily Telegraph, which is politically quite different from his newspaper, but it has a business section on the back page giving advice. And the advice to this guy was, who had started a business, left his job, and was now worrying about what he should do because he had no success. And the advice was, look, if your business it doesn't work, it's time to give up and try something else. USA Rugby has a product that works. And Mr. Friday is in charge of that. And it's called Seven Aside. And we are second in the world. And we can sell that because the athletes he talks about, we have in abundance. And they happen also to be uh, like the 
that 20 at best, 100-meter runner uh, in America is probably quicker than anything that Ireland, England, Scotland, or Wales could produce. What Japan has done, and since this competition has begun, they have done, is to be faithful to the game of rugby, which is about passing the ball. No game was worse named than rugby union football because it's not about kicking the ball, it's about passing the ball. You're here. And what makes it so <laughs> difficult, what makes it so difficult is that in order to go forward, you must pass the ball backward. So unlike the NFL, there's no way the quarterback can throw the ball 50 yards forward to a wide receiver. So that makes rugby incredibly difficult. Well, I mean, I thought J Japan have earned their, earned their right of passage to win their group. I think they played fantastic rugby and, they, and, and in Joseph, they've got a, a leader and a coach that's instilled confidence and a belief as well as a rugby understanding. Uh, and they've risen to the occasion. Um, I personally, as I said last week, I thought Scotland would do the job, but I think the better team won on the day quite clearly. And as George has alluded to, Scotland went within themselves and Japan came out of themselves. Uh, and, you know, they, they fully deserved that. And, and, and they, they won the group. That's, no, that can't be taken away from them. They've got a tough quarterfinal coming. But, um, you know, I, I think there will be an upset at some point in the quarterfinals where... Who knows? Oh, that's for the second half of the show. Martin, before we go for a break. This is just a quick point going, dialing all the way back to the start of what George said. You mentioned the Daily Telegraph. I haven't got the story in front of me, but I did read it today. I hope I get the figure right. Daily Telegraph business advice. They have just recorded a 94% drop in profits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, grain of salt. And uh, speaking of profits, we're going to take a quick break because we got to pay some bills. We'll be right back after this. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. And we are back with Mr. George Hook, Mr. Mike Friday, and Mr. Martin Pengelly. Gentlemen, thank you for being here once again. I want to pick up where we left off about the Tier 1, Tier 2 stuff. Uh, you know, Japan is throwing, is, is throwing the whole argument right out front and center. But here's a quote from USA Eagles fullback Will Hooley, who wrote this on The Guardian, Martin's publication. He's the, and this is a part of the quote, that those of us currently labeled as Tier 2 nations simply have to be allocated more fixtures against the likes of Argentina, France, and England over the next year or two. We are not that far away. We just need that extra bit of know-how that comes from more regular exposure, not least of how costly it is to make mistakes against the leading teams. You can't just expect the USA, say, to go through the, their America's qualifying group and then instantly be ready to step up at the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, I think they're probably not that close. To the, to the top nations, but the only way you can get close is to play them. So it comes back probably to the Bill Beaumont comment around whether these Tier 1 nations will want the games against the likes of USA because will it, will it allow them to, to, to fill the stadiums? And I've, I've had a lot of talk about buddying up systems and, and a Tier 1 adopting a Tier 2 and, 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 and helping them uh, improve themselves, but that kind of feels to me a little bit like Turkey's voting for Christmas. So saying it and doing it are kind of two different things. And I think that's the challenge and the, and the dilemma that World Rugby has. But, I mean, Will Hooley's right in one respect, is that they will get better the more they play 
the, uh, the the top nations, but um, along the way they were certainly battered and bruised with the with some scars in terms of of learning what it takes and what it requires to actually even stay close to these top nations. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I, this this I just I, I just want to change gears here a little bit because George, I know that you think 15s is over here, but if it's not, let's say it's not. Let's live in that hypothetical dream world that that I I so often live in. Should Gary Gold come back as head coach? Rugby union is near bankrupt. The Irish rugby football union is near bankrupt. Scottish rugby union is near bankrupt. Therefore, their need for money is as great as the the U.S. Eagles, and they're not going to pass it off and give it to America, point one. Point two, Gold came out with the most extraordinary statement. He said, we should have the Rugby World Cup in the USA, and then the game would grow. Now, Mr. Gold is probably very young, and he doesn't know that in 1990, the Soccer World Cup took place in America. Would anybody like to tell me the dramatic effect it had on American soccer in I, that period of time? I got to stop you for a second. I, hold No, hold on. Before you go to point three, soccer in this country as an American male doesn't make it because we grow up playing contact sports and this thing with the diving, it's a whole different issue. But I, I got I to say that that's part of the reason soccer didn't make it. And also they were competing with NBC, ABC, and CBS as the only three networks. That's all changed. But go ahead on point three. Well, on point three is that America has a product. I mean, I just don't get it. If they put a businessman in charge of American rugby and, and said to him, you know, which do you want? Do you want number two in the world or number 17 in the world? Do you want a team that can compete on a world stage in the Olympics? Do you want a, do you want a program that gets a ton of money? from uh, the, the, the Olympics. And there's only one answer. And insurance costs are going to kill the game at high school level. And, I, and ironically, so- ironically, we have two insurance companies getting involved in rugby in the United States, AIG and Penn Mutual. Michael, I want to put you on the hot, sp- on the hot seat before I put Pengeli on it. Gary Gold, come back? Uh, I think absolutely. I think Gary's done a fantastic job. I think he's bought professionalism and he's 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 got a pint and a half out of a pint. Um, but, you know, going back to George's point, you can only work with what you've got and the resources that you have. And, you know, I've just got to put George right. I wish we had loads of money coming from USOC. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into I, the seven yeah. Program. But, um, you know, I, I think George is absolutely right. Sevens is, is certainly the marketing suite to allow rugby to grow and become the 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 market suite for the game as a whole in the united states and that's something that usa rugby and and we all need to embrace and recognize and i think if we can use the sevens to grow the popularity the understanding amongst the sporting landscape and let's not forget the usa sporting public love winning two questions how frustrating is it for a head coach in 15s after the ball is kicked off in the sense that a they are far away because American fans are used to their coaches being right in the face of referees or officials right there on the sideline. In 15s, the coaches are up in the, up in the stands or up in the booth. How, how much influence can they have on a game? Because you saw, even in the Tonga versus USA match, the Tongans befuddled the planet. Even my two-year-old niece know you go for the posts when you, when you have a five-point lead at the hooter, at the horn. And yet they opted for a scrum down, got the try, got the 
got the converted try and won 31-19. How frustrating is it? Is it, is it just your ulcer is just growing within you during a, uh, the game, or can you actually influence the game if you're a head, co- head coach in 15s? Yeah, I mean, I think that the reality is, I think there's a lot of referees that want me up in the stands. Um, <laughs> but I think you can't really. I mean, the reality is you've got you, you you've got communication, you've got access to to getting messages on the pitch, whether you're on the sideline or where you're, where Gary is sat. I think ultimately, what as a coach, you you hope that you've given your players the tools to make the right decisions at the right time under the right pressures. And George Sir Graham Henry told me that even for the mighty All Blacks in 2011 against France, Richie McCaw basically flipped the bird to the coaches up in the up in the box because they wanted him and the team to pin France deep with kicks. And Richie just ignored that and told the guys, look, we've been doing this all our lives. We're going to keep the ball and just go phase after phase after phase after phase. That's even the mighty All Blacks, George. Rugby used to be about creating leadership. Now, what is the bloody point of sending your captain onto the pitch and saying, you don't have a mind at all? I'm going to tell you from 100 feet in the air uh, through the water by exactly what you're supposed to do. And, and I don't want that. And, and that's why Ireland won't pass the ball, because they're terrified. Because up in the booth, if they, if they pass the ball, they get absolutely horlexed. And that's a drink that puts you to sleep. Interesting again, I, I'm delighted the Daily Telegraph have lost 93% of their profits. <laughs> best news I've heard today. Um, but in the self-same Telegraph today, in all the attacking <coughs> statistics, Ireland are at the bottom. In all the attacking statistics, New Zealand are at the top. Early in the program, which I meant to agree with, which I, I would defend Bill Beaumont, but if Bill Beaumont thinks Clive Woodward's Lions tour was a success, he really does need to have a lie down. I, it's one of my theories yeah. that the 2003 England team won the World Cup for all sorts of reasons, but possibly the least of the reasons that they won it, it would still be one reason, would be Clive Woodward in my head. It was Martin Johnson as a leader. One of those leaders you get who just um, says, screw it, my way, and does it. And yeah. He did that in Ireland when he forced the president off the red carpet. He did it a million times on the pitch by hitting people. Martin Johnson, captain, won the World Cup. Dif- there are different models. John Eels was a great captain, won the World Cup. He had lots Martin of Johnson people. just scared the bejesus out of everybody yeah. on the field. I mean, who's kidding who? To, to try and up on Kim Eric and, uh, what was it, Horlicks. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, just, he would just banjax yeah. someone if he had oh, to do it. Oh, oh <laughs> Mike, I got to turn to you right now because I'm perspiring. Uh, yeah, yeah well, I think it's an interesting point. I think Martin Johnson is a great captain, and I think Martin Johnson led a great team on that day. Yeah. But, but Clive Wood have put that team together. Clive Woodward moulded the personalities and was able to keep the the big egos and the big characters um, at one in that squad. And there were some big characters. So Jono didn't rule by fear because Delalio wouldn't have any of that. Dawson wouldn't have any of that. <laughs> there had to be cohesion. There had to be... That was just me. Uh, I'm just scared that, of him. Final thought from each of you on what's ahead of us. In New Zealand-South Africa final, I think, is is becoming increasingly probable rather than possible. And the game will be the better for those two teams being in the final. I usually find that England win when I have a bad feeling about them. And I have a bad feeling about the Australia game and I expect Australia to win, so England probably will. Here's me hoping, I think, Wales upset the apple cart. I think Wales can do a job on France and I think they've got the game to, if they stay fit, to upset South Africa. Uh, 
I've been wrong in, in some of the key components of this tournament, and I'm going to continue down that path. I think Ireland may stun the world yet again. Call me crazy. Oh, you're Call crazy. Me crazy. crazy. I'm you're a crazy. Crazy. I, I'm a, crazy. Crazy. You're really crazy. <laughs> you know what? What else? That's what, the, I, that's, what I, that's what everybody was saying about Japan beating Ireland. Come on. All right, and I know that goes against my, that goes right into your argument against my my position here that I'm arguing for Ireland that got beaten by Japan. So yeah, that doesn't make any sense. England, Australia, Martin, Australia. Woo! Wow. I would love Australia to win, but I don't think they're playing well enough to beat England. England will just overpower them up front. Yeah, England. I think their pack's too good. Yeah, I agree with you. New Zealand, Ireland. Oh, yeah, but New Zealand. Oh, you are just <laughs> come on. Anybody? I know. I don't have to ask you. You the two of you, Mike. You already picked Wales over France. George, I imagine yeah. you're going with France. No, I think I think France. Even this idea that the players can do it on their own, it just haven't got the players. Uh, and 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 Wales are very good. They are very very good. Wales to beat France. Yeah, I. I said Japan was the most overrated team in the tournament. I'm going to change that to France at this point, because that's what that's who's remaining. I'm picking. I'm picking Wales. Are you picking Wales or France? With a heavy, heavy, heavy heart, Uh-oh. I'm picking Wales. Wow, really? Okay, all right. And uh, Japan, South Africa, Mike. Oh, I want to be romantic. Um... <laughs> I want to be. Uh, can they do it again? I just think South Africa have got such a balanced squad. I think they've got a really exciting back three, and they've got a pack that can mix it. I mean, I would love Japan to do it, but I, 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 my, my head says South Africa will will win the day. I'm I'm going to go with South Africa because Barry Herbert will uh, will have my head. But sorry, Barry, I'm going to pick South Africa. South Africa. All right. Okay. All right. And there you have it, guys. Uh, we are completely out of time about an hour ago, but I want to thank you profusely for coming on the show, Mr. Mike Friday, George Hook, and <laughs> Mr. Martin Pengelly. And, of course, we have Steve Lewis's proxy here. And on behalf of all those gentlemen and my lovely executive producer, wife, Kendra, I'm Matt McCarthy in Midtown Manhattan for Rugby Wrap-Up, signing off.